Kia ora. Merry Christmas. Lovely to see you. Good to be gathered. If you are visiting with us, maybe we're getting closer to Christmas. You may be in the city because you've come to spend Christmas with family. Warm welcome to St. Luke's. Warm welcome to Tauranga. Nice to have you along. Unless you come from somewhere warmer, then like, oh, we're doing our best. <laughs> if you come from somewhere colder, warm welcome. We are in Advent. We're in the moment before the moment still. And we are making our way to Christmas. Of course, we're closer. We're closer than we've been. We're closer today than we were yesterday. We're closer today than we were last week. Uh, But we're still not quite there. We're going to get together one more time on Tuesday night, and we'll be even closer still, but we still won't quite be there. Um, We thought about getting together on the day, but it's like it's a very, very busy day. So we'll just get together. Just that moment before the moment on Tuesday night. And we've been journeying through the wardrobe and through the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And we'll carry on that this morning. Uh, I'm going to go back and forth between Isaiah and the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe this morning. I'll let you know when I'm reading from the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and when I'm reading from Isaiah. Just so that um, for those of you that are not as biblically literate as others... Uh, so that you can track with us, but we'll do that this morning. So I'm starting in Isaiah. So this is Isaiah 52. Uh, The Master. I'm using Eugene Peterson's The Message for most of it, I think. The Master. God says, early on, my people went to Egypt and lived strangers in the land. At the other end, Assyria oppressed them. And now what have I here? My people are hauled off again for no reason at all. Early on, Israel was in captivity in Egypt. Later on, they were in captivity in Syria. Now they find themselves taken over by Babylon. And uh, this is what Isaiah says. Uh, My people are hauled off again for no reason at all. Tyrants on the warpath, whooping it up. And day after day, incessantly, my reputation blackened. Now it's time that my people know who I am. What I'm made of. Yes, that I have something to say. Here I am. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger bringing good news. Breaking the news that all's well. Proclaiming good tidings. Announcing salvation. Telling Zion, your God reigns. This is this word from the Lord to the prophet Isaiah. Israel's in captivity in Babylon or taken over by Babylon. So like I said, we're still in the moment before the moment. We're not at the destination yet. Uh, Metaphorically, we're still walking that dusty road towards Bethlehem. Uh, And every day the road is getting crowded with more people that are heading in the same direction. More travellers converging. Uh, But at least you could say, I guess, now that Bethlehem is in sight. We're not quite there, but at least Bethlehem is in sight. Just up ahead, you can see it. Which is kind of to say that you can, you can taste it, that Christmas is just around the corner. There's something in the air. There's something in the atmosphere. Even shopping malls are okay places to be in for a little bit at this time of the year kind of thing. Though I avoid them every other time of the year as much as possible. There's a deeper sense of joy and hope and peace unfolding. Uh, there's murmurs and whispers of love. The mystery, the welcome, the love and wonder of Christmas is breaking out all around us. The mystery, the welcome, the love, the wonder of Christmas. Uh, Which is to talk about good news. 
Good tidings announcing salvation, reconciliation, restoration, uh, rejuvenation, I guess you could say. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger bringing good news. It's a funny turn of phrase. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger bringing good news. It's funny. Yeah, how beautiful on the mountains are those feet? Those feet on the mountains are, are beautiful feet. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a funny turn of phrase, but uh, essentially it's this idea of they're looking up to the mountains and they're seeing messengers running, messengers running towards them, bringing good news, bringing glad tidings. Salvation is on the way. Salvation is breaking out. Now, in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, we've jumped a few chapters to where we're going to be this morning. Uh, but what's unfolded is that Aslan, if you're familiar with the story, Aslan has died on the stone table, given his life as an innocent one for Edmund, who'd been naughty. And uh, the White Witch was triumphant and excited about that. But there was this deeper magic still that was unfolding. And if an innocent one gives their life three days later, they, they rise from the dead kind of thing. So that, that's all happened. And uh, it's, it's an exciting part of the story. We often talk about that at Easter. Um, but now Susan and Lucy... Uh, being reunited with Aslan. And there's still this issue of Mr. Tumnus and the other creatures that have been turned to stone, taken into captivity by the White Witch. Uh, I'm still reading from Isaiah here, but it could be Aslan speaking as we bounce back and forth. And now what have I here? My people hauled off again for no reason. Tyrants on the warpath, whooping it up and day after day incessantly, my reputation blackened. This This is Isaiah, but it could be. The white witch, these creatures that have been turned to stone. Now it's the time that my people know who I am, what I'm made of. Yes, I have something to say. Here I am. That's Isaiah. But it could be Aslan as well. Now we're in the line, the witch in the water. We have a long journey to go. This is Aslan to Susan and Lucy. You must ride on me. And he crouched down and the children climbed onto his warm golden back. And Susan sat first, holding on tightly to his mane. And Lucy sat behind, holding on tightly to Susan. And with a great heave, he rose underneath them and then shot off faster than any horse could go. Downhill and into the thick of the forest, the ride was perhaps the most wonderful thing that had happened in Narnia. I'm in Isaiah now, chapter 63. I'll make a list of God's gracious dealings. All the things God has done that need praising. All the generous bounties of God. His great goodness to the family of Israel. Compassion lavished. Love extravagant. He said, what quest, uh, without question, these are my people. Children who would never betray me. So he became their savior. In all their troubles, he was troubled too. He didn't send someone else to help them. He did it himself in person. Out of his own love and pity, he redeemed them. He rescued them and carried them along for a long time. Doesn't grow tired, doesn't grow weary, carries his people. Now we're back in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Have you ever had a gallop on a horse? Think of that and then take away the heavy noise of the hooves and the jingle of the bits and imagine instead the almost noiseless padding of great paws. Look at those paws. Those are photos of obviously a real lion. Their paws are pretty magnificent. The great, the almost noiseless padding of the great paws. Then imagine instead of the black or grey or chestnut back of the horse, the soft roughness of golden fur and the mane flying in the wind. And then imagine you are going about twice as fast as the fastest racehorse, 
But this is a moment that doesn't need to be amount that doesn't need to be uh, guided and never grows tired. He rushes on and on, never missing his footing, never hesitating, threading his way with perfect skill between tree trunks, jumping over bush and briar and smaller streams, wading the largest, swimming the largest of all. And you are riding not on a road nor in a park or even on the downs, but right across Narnia. In spring, down solemn avenues of beech and across sunny glades of oak, through wild orchards of snow-white cherry trees, past roaring waterfalls, mossy rocks and echoing caverns, up windy slopes along with, uh, alight with gorse bushes and across the shoulders of the heathery mountains and along guinea ridges and down, down, down again into wild valleys and out across acres of blue flowers. Isaiah, how beautiful it is. The feet of the messenger bringing good news, breaking out the news that all is well, proclaiming good tidings, announcing salvation. Line the witch in the wardrobe. It was nearly midday. They found themselves looking down a steep hillside at a castle. A little toy castle it looked like from where they stood, which seemed to be all, all pointed towers. But the lion was rushing down at such a speed it grew larger with every moment. And they had, uh, before they had time to even ask themselves what it was, they were level with it. And now it no longer looked like a toy castle, but rose in front of them. No face looked over the battlements, and the gate was fast shut. And Aslan, not at all slacking his pace, rushed straight as a bullet towards it. The witch's home, he cried. Now children, hold on tight. Next moment the whole world seemed to turn upside down. But perhaps you could say right side up. And the children felt as if they had left their insides behind. For the lion had gathered himself together for a greater leap than any he had yet made and jumped. Or you may call it flying rather than jumping. Right over the castle wall into a wide stone, uh, into a wide area full of stone statues. Let me... uh, Put it plainly, in case you missed some of the ideas unfolding when we jump back and forth between Isaiah and the Lion, the Witch, and the Water. Aslan, the noiseless padding of the great paws. The very embodiment of good news running straight as a bullet towards you. But we're we're not really talking about Aslan. We're talking about Christ who is the embodiment of good news. Aslan, never missing his footing, never hesitating, never growing tired. The one who is the sure-footed one. But really, we're not talking about Aslan. We're talking about Christ, the one who is faithful in every step of the journey. Who doesn't miss a beat, who doesn't miss a step, who doesn't hesitate. Who is faithful to walk the path set before him, faithful even unto death. Aslan, the one who makes this leap, the greatest leap that's ever been made, past battlements and gates shut fast and into the courtyard of the castle full of stone statues. But we're not really talking about Aslan. We're talking about Christ, the one who stands at the door and knocks from the outside and yet simultaneously leaps into the courtyard of our heart, somehow present to us in all things. Somehow the one who comes to turn hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. To our weakness, he is no stranger, born to be our friend. What an extraordinary place, cried Lucy. All these stone animals and people too, it's it's like a museum. Hush, said Susan, Aslan's doing something. He was indeed, 
He had bound it up to the stone lion and breathed on him. Then without waiting a moment, he whisked around, almost as if he had been a cat chasing its tail, and breathed also on the stone dwarf. Then he pounced on a tall stone dryad which stood beyond the dwarf, turning rapidly aside to deal with a stone rabbit on his right, and rushed on to two centers. But at that moment, Lucy said, Oh, Susan, look, look at that lion. I expect you've seen someone put a lighted match to a bit of newspaper which has popped up against the grate on an unlit fire. And for a second, nothing seems to be happening at all. And then you notice a tiny streak of flame creeping up along the edge of the paper. It was like that now. For a second after Aslan had breathed upon him, the stone lion looked just the same. Then a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back and it spread. Then the color seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks all over a piece of paper. Then, while his hindquarters were still obviously stone, the lion shook his mane and all of the heavy stone folds rippled into living hair. Then he opened a great red mouth, warm and living, and gave a prodigious yawn. And now his hind legs had come to life. He lifted one of them and scratched himself. Then, having caught sight of Aslan, he went bounding after him and frisking around, whimpering with delight, jumping up and licking Aslan's face. Everywhere, the statues were coming to life. The courtyard no longer looked like a museum, it looked more like a zoo. Creatures were running after Aslan and dancing around till he was almost hidden in the crowd. Instead of all that deadly white, the courtyard now was now a blaze of colour. And instead of deadly science, the whole place rang with various cries of happiness and delight. It's this beautiful picture of these stone statues being breathed upon and coming back to life. Revelation chapter 7. I looked again, I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there, all nations and tribes, all races and languages. And they were standing dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the Lamb and heartily singing salvation to God on his throne. Salvation to the Lamb. And of course the Lion of the tribe of Judah is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're not really talking about Aslan, we're talking about Christ. Oh, said Susan, in a different tone. Look, I wonder, I mean, is it, is it safe? Lucy's always worried if it's safe. Ah, Susan worried if it's safe as well. For she looked and saw that Aslan, Aslan had just breathed on the feet of a stone giant. It's all right, shouted Aslan joyously. Once the feet are put right, all the rest of him will follow. Up on the slide we've got a few verses. Psalm 18. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on heights. Psalm 25. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Psalm 40, he lifted me out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock. It's all right, shouted Aslan joyously. Once the feet are put right, the rest of him will follow. I could have had another, another dozen or so verses when you, when you look through these passages and proverbs and psalms and, and, and right through the gospels that talk about the feet and where you're walking and the feet that are caught in the snare and the feet that have been set free and set in the right direction. All these kind of ideas coming through. 
So we're in Advent, the final Sunday of Advent. It's been a season of reimagining. A season we're invited to realign our hearts towards the Christ of Christmas as we journey towards Christmas. Ultimately, we're all heading towards Christmas, every single one of us. All around the world, people are heading towards Christmas. And it's almost as if we're all counting down to the same thing. But that's not the case. We're not all counting down to the same thing. 2,000 years ago, folk were heading towards Bethlehem. Travellers everywhere heading home for the census. Everybody was on the same road, but not everybody was on the same journey. There were wise men from the east, Magi, Magi, following a star, heading towards Bethlehem. They were searching for a new king. They were walking the same road as everyone else, but they were on a different journey. There were shepherds. The brigands, the social outcasts, the ones whose behaviour is often so inappropriate that they get moved out of society and into the wilderness to look after the sheep. They felt like that would be a good thing for everybody. But they're heading towards Bethlehem. They've received good news, the promise of a saviour, a messiah, a baby lying in a manger. They're walking the same road as everybody else, but they're on a different journey. Joseph and Mary, of course, they're walking the same road everybody else but they're on a different journey as well we're all heading towards christmas we're all walking towards christmas but advent invites us to consider deeper questions in regard to the journey that we are on over the last three sundays we've asked ourselves a few questions can you imagine alternative possibilities in a world where so often we encounter brokenness Can you imagine alternative possibilities? And we've sung a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. We've asked, where do you suppose the deep and universal longing of humanity for love and joy and peace and hope? Where do you you suppose that deep longing is ultimately fulfilled, is ultimately satisfied? We've sung the hopes and fears of all the years are met in the tonight. We've asked, could it be that Jesus is the one of infinite proportions who draws near to us even in our own finiteness and limitations? And we've sung, he knows our weaknesses, born to be our friend. So I guess the question that we have for this final Sunday of Advent, are you walking in step with the one who is the embodiment of good news? The sure-footed one whose very words are a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We're all heading towards Christmas, but we're not all necessarily on the same journey. But the good news is once you put the feet right, the rest takes care of itself. We walk this journey through the patient waiting of Advent and into the wonder and delight of Christmas, of Christ with us, Emmanuel. But we don't do so presuming that nothing is asked of us. We don't walk this journey, or we shouldn't walk this journey, presuming that nothing is asked of us. We don't do this supposing that Christmas is the end of the journey. If you're familiar with the Christian calendar, it starts in Advent for four weeks, then it has Christmas for 12 days. That's not the end, it's really just the beginning. 
We do this knowing that the birth, that birth is always the beginning of a journey, not the end of a journey. And anyone that's had a baby knows that as well. Spend all that time in antenatal classes. The birth is the big thing, especially your first one. This is, you know, wives, mums. I've done the maths. I don't know how it works. You know, <laughs> labor. And you have this baby and you're like, I did it. I did it. We've done it. And then after like two days, you realize we haven't done it. It's just started. I thought this was the end. It's, it's just the beginning. And I'm so tired. And you have another and another. And it's like, oh, when does it end? Well, we're just getting started. We're spending a decade just getting started. So we don't journey towards Christmas presuming that nothing is asked of us. And we don't journey towards Christmas thinking, oh, we'll finally get to the 25th and then it's all wrapped up. We've come to... No, it's just getting started. Ricky Bobby and Talligator Knights, he prays to the baby Jesus. I was going to play you the scene, but I won't. He just prays, dear eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just so little infant, so cuddly, but still omnipotent. That's what, that's what Ricky Bobby prays. Gets in trouble with his wife. Ricky Bobby, you know that Jesus grew up. Oh, but my favorite Jesus is the dear Lord baby Jesus. It's a funny scene in the movie, but doesn't reflect the bigger story. The bigger story is that Christmas is just the start, not the end. Christmas is an introduction to good news that's going to invite us into a whole different way of being. And there's going to be some twists and turns along the way. There's, there's this thing called Lent that you eventually get to. And if you think that's bad, it finishes with this crucifixion thing happening on a Friday, which doesn't really feel like good news. Christmas is just the beginning. We sing about Christ being born on Christmas Day, but we do so knowing that Christ is also the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And instantly we are brought back down to earth in this call to this way of discipleship, this way of being in this world, this way of walking in step with Christ. This understanding that the journey towards Bethlehem is only the beginning to this, only leads up to the start of a whole nother journey. Called to faith and trust and stickability, to steadfast patience in the midst of our trials, even as Christ was faithful in the midst of his trials. We've been talking about how it's always winter, but never Christmas. We remind ourselves that, yeah, 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 it's the beginning, beginning, but there will be winters. There will be winters. We're called to set our feet in a certain direction. Knowing that on all our trials, Christ is born to be our friend. It won't be winter, but never Christmas, but winter will come. And it will be cold at times. So the challenge then is to allow Christ to set our feet in the right direction, knowing that the rest begins to take care of itself. To turn from one's own way of being. And to walk the way of Christ. And trusting in all things, our lives to the life of Christ. In one sense, Lent is turning our hearts towards Christ. Turning our lives towards Christ in the midst of our own darkness. In the midst of our own failings. In the midst of our own anxieties. In the midst of our own fears and 
failings, in the midst of the worry and the regret and the mistakes and the whatever it might be that we carry in life. Lent's this kind of invitation to turn towards Christ even in the darker places of our lives. Advent's kind of different. Advent's this invitation to turn towards Christ, not so much conscious of the darkness of our lives, that'll come to light in Lent, but conscious of the light of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the wonder of Christ, the beauty of Christ. In one sense, you could say, you could kind of, it's not quite like this, but you could kind of say Advent's the, the positive invitation to follow Christ in amongst the, the good news of Christmas. Lent's this invitation to follow Christ in amongst the bad news of our own lives. But they work together. These, they complement each other. But we shouldn't presume that while Lent asks something of us, Advent doesn't. We're not counting down to a holiday, though we are. We're counting down to the beginning of a whole new journey in step with Christ. Both calling us to live a certain way, to walk a certain way, to be present to Christ in our journey and to allow Christ to be present to us. The one that is the embodiment of good news. The one who is the sure-footed one. The one who leaps great walls and locked gates into courtyards of stone. Who stands at the door and knocks at our heart and yet simultaneously kind of leaps into the courtyard of our heart as well. Present with us and all moments. So let's stand together this morning. And gather at the table of the Lord. As a kind of a way of rounding out Advent. Kind of it's a way of rounding out our church year together. Though we do have Christmas Eve, but not everyone will be there for that. It's kind of as practically as we can make it. Because of how we do communion here at St. Luke's, it literally is an invitation to set your feet in a certain direction. To start to step, to start to walk in a certain direction. You can walk towards this table here at the front. You can walk towards that one at the back or you can walk to the other one at the back. Either way, whichever one you choose. It's this invitation to walk towards Christ, to set your feet in the right direction. Those of you that are navigating the artificial snow, just be careful not to trip up. Those of you that didn't know that was snow, so sorry. Can't do anything for you. So we gather at the Lord's table and practically we're going to, in a moment, turn from our seats and we're going to walk this path towards one of the three tables. You can do that this morning. Just to take the bread and wine because everyone else is taking the bread and wine and that's totally fine with me. I don't mind that at all. But you can do that this morning with your heart beating a little faster. With a little bit more intentionality in regard to what is happening. You can walk towards the table of the Lord with, and let that very act of walking be a prayer that is saying, Lord, help me to make sure my feet set in the right direction. That my course, that my path is in step with the course and the path that you're calling me to walk. You can do that this morning, maybe having done that a hundred thousand times. You can do that this morning, maybe never having consciously kind of made that decision. The Lord's table is an invitation to come 
And with a heart that is open to God, with a heart that summons some faith, that is repentant to receive the love and life of Christ as your own this morning. So it seems appropriate to set our feet in that direction this morning as we respond to the invitation of Advent and as we kind of close out this year together. So let me read our invitation to the Lord's table this morning. The table has been prepared, not of the church, but that of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's made ready for those who love the Lord a little and those who would like to love him more. All are invited to take a seat at this table, the certain, the uncertain, the faith-filled, the doubters. So come, you have much faith and you have little. You who have followed faithfully and you who have tried but failed. There, was, there is always space for you at this table. Come, not because of your own goodness, but because of the goodness of God. Come and meet the risen Christ. The sure-footed one who is the embodiment of good news. And whose very words are a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Come and meet the one who is the mystery, welcome, love and wonder of Christmas. We've talked of Aslan, but we're not really talking about Aslan. We're talking about Christ the Saviour. Turn your hearts towards Jesus and receive the salvation of God for Jesus is the bread of life, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Come and receive the life of Christ as your own in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here at the front, tables at the back, set the feet of your body and also set the feet of your heart towards Christ this morning in Jesus' name.